Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 15 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So I don't think it's a secret. We love it when people buy existing businesses, and it really comes down to two simple words, cash flow. But what happens when you can't find an opportunity or those that exist just aren't good ones? When does it make sense to do a startup? That's what we're going to focus on today. Of course, with a few real life examples thrown in. Hello, Mr. Loretto. What's up, Miss Ratcliffe? <laughs> How are you today? I am good, good. Uh, what people don't know is we just came back from a trip to Amelia Island for a big meeting, and it was super fun and successful, but I've talked to you a lot. Yes, I've, I've got all the Christy Ratcliffe stories I need to know yeah. about. So so we're good? We're just going to jump into this? Just, just tired jump of you? in. Okay. Yeah, 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 I'm okay. tired, okay. tired <laughs> of you as well. <laughs> so let's get it started. We talk to people every day who have a specific area They're looking to own in, whether their spouse is there or they grew up there, or they just always envision themselves living on the West Coast, right? right? Whatever it is. Unfortunately, the perfect location for them personally doesn't always equate into the perfect practice location or the ability of a practice to be for sale. And this happens more often in competitive areas, Atlanta, D.C., even the Dallas area. Oftentimes when these people come to us and they say we want to do a startup, we're super hesitant in USO as well. So tell me. Why are you so hesitant? You're a numbers person. Yes. So I know you have numbers to back yes. this up. Yes, yes. Why are you hesitant about startups? Well, let's dive into the numbers just so you can get into my little number brain. And that's just the way that I think some of us are wired here in yeah, the accounting just... business world. And you have little <laughs> science minds. So we, we are different people for certain. And so, you know, to me, you know, if I look at someone, they're going to do a startup practice and they're four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 of dental school debt. And then all of a sudden they're going to go borrow 500, 600, 700, 800, as much as, you know, maybe a million dollars in a surgery practice, they're easily, you know, a million plus dollars of debt. Mm -hmm. And so when I see that debt, you know, I think about a startup practice and it's beautiful. You've got nice new equipment. It's all shiny and you got your logo and the layout is amazing and it's perfect. But the only thing I see is zero patients and zero income. And we've got debt on this school debt. And we've got, you know, debt payments we need to pay back on our new business loan. Mm-hmm. We have a new lease that typically is a nice area that's uh, six, $7,000. So all of a sudden you start compounding out these numbers for fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars $17,000 a month mm-hmm. in payments when we have the zero patients. And so if you can get into my little mind here, which is a small one, I just like to see the numbers. And so, you know, what I want to see is like, how long is it going to take us to break even? How long does it take us to make any money? And what those break evens look like are different. We'll cover that in a bit. So if I look at a GP practice, for example, you know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how long is it going to take me to make, let's just say, $500,000 of collections. The other question is, how much would you make at 500,000 collections? And so typically it's not much. You're probably making somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe $150,000 at that point. So you got to figure out how many active patients you're going to need. And those active patients are going to be somewhere in that 700 active patient range. And so then if you bring in, let's say 30 new patients a month, 35 or 40, how long does that take? Now, all of a sudden, we're two, three years in to get to this point. You're still working part-time over here as an associate. Fast forward, how long does it take you to get to a million-dollar practice? That could be a four, five, six, seven-year period. Why do we always talk about the million-dollar practice? It's because if I can do a million-dollar collections in the one physical location with the same rent of four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000, all of a sudden, we become more profitable. So the first $500,000 of collections, I make one fifty. dollars 
maybe the next 500,000 of collections I might make 250, combine it out to a million dollars now nets four. So we make more money in one physical plant. So general rule you know, on this is you've got to be able to look at your new patient flow and typically you're thinking about if it's a 30 new patient kind of game plan a month, you're probably talking about a seven year plan before you're getting there. And if it's an amazing, desirable area, excellent job marketing, 100 new patients a month, you know, sell me on right. it. Sell me you've got this Harvard grad MBA husband or wife that's going to assist you through this. I'm going to be much more on board and much more excited about it. Yeah. What other things, if someone calls and their heart is set on the startup, what do you want to hear from them that helps sell the startup? Right. I, and I always say, just sell me on it, right? Yeah. Just, just sell me on your startup. And so pediatric dentist, sold. Oral surgeon, sold. You know, a GPR resident going back to rural area and there's only three or four dentists and and you've got that experience sold. So there are certainly going to be times that I'm going to be much more excited about it because the reason I'm excited about it is because we have a history mm-hmm. of being able to see these pediatric practice start and all of a sudden by their 13th the 24th month, they're hitting the million dollar number. So now all of a sudden they're able to hit those collection numbers. It's either through procedures like oral surgeons, they can have $20,000, days. And I've got pediatric dentists that can easily jump in and have a hundred new patients a month because of their high demand. So I want to see something like there are obviously other things that would take me there. Yeah. What about spouses, right? I know we've talked to a few who say, Hey, I have a spouse. They're successful. They make two, one, three, whatever your kind of personal need is. We're from here. We have a house. I, you know, maybe this is my second career and I went back. We're committed to right. here, right? right? And there's nothing here. Um, oftentimes we'll be okay with that startup because, again, the issue of not having the cash to pay all of the life expense and, and debt expense is removed when you have that spouse that has that income. What I love about doing these podcasts is that this is not prepared. You know, we have an outline, but these stories pop up, yeah. you know, and so. I was on a treadmill when I was working out. I was on a treadmill <laughs> running next to a guy, and he's like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm at the dental conference. Yeah, me too. So I just assumed he's a dentist, but he's actually a spouse. And so, yeah, my, my wife's thinking about doing a startup, and she, I, think it was, I guess it was an orthodontic conference because she was ortho. And my first thought is I'm running like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But he happened to be a three, $400,000 income guy. Okay, they've already had the house They've got, you know, a child that, that, you know, they're next to the school. Mm -hmm. It's already set. Yeah. And he's making several hundred thousand dollars a year. She's got a part-time gig where she's making like 12, 1400 bucks a day. Mm -hmm. So let's keep her a little part-time gig over here. Let's start our practice. And, you know, it's okay that we, maybe she's making 300 and he's making 400. We can take a step back from her making 300 down to 150 and I'll start our practice. So these are the type of things that are selling me on. This is a good idea. My first thought of spouse doing a startup ortho gives me a little you know, hard kind of stop because mm-hmm. it's difficult in those startups for ortho to really get going. Yeah, just the market just, just doesn't the, allow for those. The idea here, Chris, you just sell us on it. Mm-hmm. Just sell us. Yeah, we're pretty open people. Yeah, right? yeah I like that. We were kind of set in our ways, but we can be open. <laughs> um, so let's talk about competitive areas versus non-competitive areas and when that makes sense. I think first things first is we have to make sure, and our first question, and anyone who says a startup, even if they've sold us, is 
have you looked? Have you exhausted every effort to find the practice that's for sale or the practice that's not for sale, but will be for sale soon before you make that decision? Right. And I think that last episode, the Nancy Drew episode, you talked about a couple who came to you and wanted a startup. Yes. And I think since then, or kind of as, as part of that conversation, they kind of did this relook to make sure what's out there and update me. Yeah. So during, uh, we recorded, I don't know, a week or two ago and met this young man. Again, this was, this was the, my cute little 26, 27 year old couple that happened to work uh, at the denture clinic and was the big producer. Um, gave them the, the idea, look, let's exhaust. And so they did. And so they looked at the websites, they looked at just the procedures that the dentist was doing, they looked at age, and they at the practice. They met, they went to the doctor, they met him, they, they went and saw it. And again, it was either six or seven chair practice, but the practice was doing between like one five and one seven, great overhead. And instead of borrowing five hundred and fifty to six hundred thousand dollars for a practice big enough for he and his wife now, all of a sudden they developed this great relationship with this doctor. And so we're starting to do the due diligence now on the acquisition for them, and they're super, super excited about it. So again, I'm, we're going to go borrow a lot of money for these options, a 600 for a startup or 500 or maybe a million for a practice, but it's all about how quickly can you get to your goals. Right. And so we want to hear what those goals are and then basically guide you down that right down path. Down that path, yep. yeah. So there are areas, um, and we both kind of have the stories of of those people who have looked and haven't found them. And I think the key is exhaust all the efforts like we just talked about. Do your demographics through dentographics or through whomever. Make sure you're planning. You have a business plan, the breakaway seminars, you know, Binco Design Centers. Go and figure out kind of what's it going to cost me? What's my plan going to be? You can do those things simultaneously, right? You can look for opportunities and kind of plan your plan B, your backup plan of the startup at the same time. And I know that we had a potential client, never became a client because he ended up doing a startup, but who we looked at several practices. He was looking in kind of the Atlanta area, had, you know, I probably looked at eight practices for him. All of them were overpriced or super old or just small. And just none of them were like worth and had the cash flow to make it a good Mm -hmm. deal for him. He had been doing his background work. He had found a small, tiny little pocket of an area and a a suburb that said, hey, this could support another provider. And he, over, you know, 12 months, I think that he's probably just not opening his doors, is doing a startup and has, is super happy. And so far so good, but he kind of took that risk and he has a spouse who has income who could support him and he has an associateship already in the area. So for those type of people, it wasn't their first plan, but it was their backup plan. He's going to be making more money eventually, but he made the educated choice to take the step back. I want to just say something and just repeat what you said. So we like dentographics. Yes, we do. Uh, Kent Miller, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Breakaway Seminars, Scott Loon, you're welcome. These are really good resources and courses to take. Benco Dental also has a really great course. It's free. You pretty much just have to convince them you're planning to do a startup practice. They will fly you to one of their facilities. And so I'm sure the other major vendors have courses like this, but mm-hmm. I've actually lectured at the Benco meeting and, and found it to be of great value. So just surround yourself with lots of leaders that have done this process before, but in your due diligence, kind of Nancy Drew, 
discovery, you certainly want to do your dentigraphics. Yeah, because these are the plan is super important yep. with a startup and having that kind of vision of long term of where you want to go. Yeah. I think you had another example, which I thought was a great one, of an ortho who is doing an ortho startup. And yes. we usually hear that and we're like, Meh, like don't pass go. But this one made sense. Yeah. So lectured to his residency program. He's pulling me aside. He's going to do do a startup and he's going to do you know a building. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to do a build, you know, a a ground-up project, you know, as an orthodontist? Okay. But this particular gentleman was blessed that his father, very successful in the medical field, good income, already had purchased the land. So technically, his dad was putting together the building project and um, happened to have a buddy that was a pediatric dentist not too far away. He went to a dental school in that particular state. He'd gone to residency in a different state. He's coming back. Yeah. So his, his father was very well connected in the community. He was well known in the community. And so all that just seemed like it made sense. Mm-hmm. He's crushing it. It's like his second year did like a million. Three was doing like 250 starts. It's like his second year crushing it. I mean, I think that's the best point because there are people who have this plan and they know what they're going to do from the beginning, yep. right? And those people are generally the people who have a plan and they have been thinking about it for four or five years yes. and they're going to be him. successful. Or there's the people that are just like, I just want to own and I don't see anything, so let's just do a startup, right? Like that is not selling us, right? right? So we need the first option. Right. Okay, let's dive into some details here on the actual startup cost because that's primarily what people care about. Yeah, and I know you work a lot with the dental specific banks that we work with. I know you did some interviews this week prepping for this. Tell me about what did you find out when you interviewed all these banks from the average spend and, and lease spaces and, and uh, working capital and, and uh, tenant improvements. So what did you find out this week? Yes. So I learned I learned a bit, right? Okay. So our, our bread and butter, what we do on a day-to-day basis is not startups, right. right? But we know, and we talk to these lenders, and we hear and we coach people through these. But I wanted to get some specifics. So I talked to two of our banks that we work with primarily, and they were pretty much on the same page. So I kind of feel like this is pretty good yeah. across the digital industry. So most startups average somewhere in the 5 to 650 range. And I'm going to say most average because if you think about it, I would think a general might spend a little less, yes. right? And specialists might spend on the higher end of that. Correct. Um, we actually spoke to one of our OMS consultants, and they see startups for OMS practices upwards in the 850 to a million, which seems crazy. Right. But I think that makes sense, right? Just from the finish out and the equipment and the technology um, and just the level of education, obviously, going back, it's seen kind of more medical. So it doesn't fit necessarily in that parameter in the box of the 550 to 650 startup average. Right. And a couple of banks are limited, and I've seen that. They say, hey, we're, we'll get 500, regardless of what you're doing. This is our limit. This, this is your our credit. Right. No more. And so, you know, that's, I think, a good gauge. I would think from a pedo perspective, I know you talked to Jill, um, and she kind of mentioned that she likes the 550 to 650 range for a good piece. And obviously, these these depend on the size of the practice. Mm-hmm. We like to see a size of somewhere in the range of 2,000 square feet for that general kind of, and I'm going to speak in general, 
from a specialty standpoint, that 2,000 square feet, that gives you a little bit of room to grow. But some of the lenders said they'll look at spaces 1,500 and above. And again, if you go back to that's the four-op million-dollar practice and kind of that's the goal. They generally take that cost and they break it out from a budget perspective of how much they're going to spend on your TI, which is like your finish out and the chairs and the flooring and plumbing and all of those pieces. And they generally see somewhere in the 110 to 250 a square foot, right? So that's your basic office to your bells and whistles, top of the line, finish out, 250 a square foot. And then for your equipment and technology, two to four ops. Again, why would you ever build out a space with only two ops? Let's plan for the future here. So for our non-math majors, let me just run that math. So 2,000 square feet, and it's $100 a foot. So we're talking $200,000 of essentially what the finish out cost is going to be. So that's taking basically from the studs uh, to the walls to the paint, maybe the built-in you know, cabinet. How much is it going to cost to make this place look pretty? So that's where you typically see those, those TI costs being around there. And then your landlord will typically chip in mm-hmm. a portion of that. So that's where you want to get a very specific maybe at least negotiators specialize in the dental space to help you there. Yep. And then, then you have a space and then you have to put all the stuff, yes. right, to do Quitman's, the dentistry, like Quitman's the actual stuff. things yep. that yep. help you. And so the equipment and technology typically will see that, or the lenders will see that anywhere from 175 to 250 a square yep. foot. Spot so on. again, what type of equipment, what level are you putting in, and, and that matters. And so you can kind of see how that math adds up to that 500 to 650 range, depending on what that is. Your equipment could be up to half of what your budget is, right? Mm -hmm. But most lenders, somewhere in that third to a half is where they're seeing that equipment break out there. So now we have an office. Everyone, if you're buying a practice or you're doing a startup, you kind of need some cash, right? Just to get you going. You're either going to live on it, your marketing, your expenses, your one staff member you're hiring. So most startup loans are going to allow for $100,000 of working capital. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to give you the money to make those initial investments. One of the biggest investments you're going to make probably in the beginning from an operational standpoint is marketing, right? Because that's what's going to drive people. And hopefully you're looking and and doing your research and making smart marketing decisions and SEO and what is effective from a marketing standpoint is going to matter about where you are. Mm -hmm. But the important thing is getting your name out there, tracking what is working and what is not. Do not spend $50,000 and you can't tell me how this patient heard about you, right? You can make those changes. So unless course you're the pedo maybe in a big medicaid area um and in that case you're probably not spending as much on marketing you're probably right. just opening absolutely doors, yeah P- right? P- our pediatric has been very little we're talking maybe their first year you know ten thousand. my orthodontist may spend a hundred thousand my gp yeah. may spend you know some ginormous you know we're five to seven percent of actual collections but our, i've got pediatric dentists they got two million dollar practices that spend less than one percent you know yep. there's no need yeah they don't have to they, they just, just have show to up. exist yep. and so another interesting thing there's two pieces here one and it makes sense they don't give more based on the location right so if you are going to operate a startup in a very expensive west coast right. urban area san francisco gonna get the same amount of money That's because crazy. at the end of the day it's about cash flow right yeah. and it's about the risk they're taking on and patient population that's there to, to come in your door and so oftentimes those are more concentrated in competitive areas you know you're taking a bigger risk there and, and you're left with less money that's probably coming to you as the owner another interesting thing here is when we talk about acquisitions 
we focus on liquidity, right? Save the cash, have a little bit of liquidity. Liquidity isn't as important with a startup, but what they need you to have is the part-time gig, right? So you're going to have to show that I have a job or an associateship two days a week somewhere else that I can focus three days a week at this practice. And that supplemental income is how they're going to see you as less of a credit risk. They do take spousal income into account, but only if your spouse is willing to guarantee the loan. So it's kind of most of the time that's not an issue, but can I I take that into account? Can I make fun of some banks right real quick? Because you know, I like to make fun of banks. So what you're telling me, Christy, is a bank, they don't care if you're in San Francisco or rural Iowa, they have limits on what they're going to lend regardless of the situation. You're telling me that the banks are going to easily lend you $600,000 with no business experience and no cash, but they'll happily do that. But if you're going to buy an existing practice, maybe it, it does uh, 600 collections and it makes, I don't know, $300,000 on day one. But if you have no liquidity, they don't want to give you the loan. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, It doesn't does it? make a lot of sense. It, literally, I'm, I'm like, hanging out with bankers and we're hanging out. I'm like, you realize this makes no sense. We're like, we realize it makes no sense. Hang it's in there, hang like in there. It's almost like because there's history, you yeah. get a mark against you, right? Yeah, Where there's I, no I, history, it's like, well, just, we'll see what happens. And they roll the dice. And there's these lenders, they, they're all different. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there's like one or only two that are going to specialize in the oral surgery space because they're like, why would we give a oral surgeon a million dollars? Because they need more stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just that simple. And I think that there's certain banks that are more conservative, mm-hmm. um, and so they take less risk. Now, their failure rate might be less than right, the right, others, right, right, which right, is right. why they're like that. But I think that the associateship requirement goes back to our point of when does a startup make sense, right? It's really hard to relocate to a new area and do a startup. Mm -hmm. One, you do not have the relationships. You do not have the knowledge of the area, just the familiarity with referrals or patients or just anything to, to hold you to the ground there. And you also need the associateship, right? You need the part time gig. Yes. And so if you want to go to a rural place, for whatever reason, that's where you want to be and you want to do a startup there, you're going to have to have an associateship gig, which means you're probably going to have to be outside of a non-compete area. So now you're driving an hour, two hours away for your part-time job and running a business and with all the stress of that debt. So it just becomes harder and it becomes a a tougher sell to us whenever we hear that and, and you're relocating. Another question we ask, and I got some competing answers here, so I kind of want to get your thoughts. How long for a patient buildup, right? And most of the, the lenders I talked with said, uh, probably a patient buildup somewhere in the range of two to four years. Right. But that leads me to what is patient buildup and right. what is your definition of that? Yeah, so a, what, what are your thoughts here? So it's like, to me, I think there's like several in my opinion, like break even. It's like, how many patients does it take to get in the door? What collections do you need with my overhead to basically break even? Just to where I, I am not using my own cash to keep this thing alive. Yep. Next is maybe how long does it take to make $150,000, 200 Basically, how long does it take for me to quit the other job that I'm making over here so I break even there? And the next is, you know, maybe some of your business goals. I really want to, maybe an example I can think about is a spouse that was making 150 as the, she's not an associate, she's outside of dentistry, she's making about 150, and he's making 150 as associate, and they want to work together. And so how long and how many patients and collections based on this startup venture, what I need to where my wife and I can work in the same practice gifts. Now all of a sudden it's a million dollars. So again, it comes back to that marketing. 
new patient flow and specialty to how we're going to get there. So I think our break-even, it really just depends on what those goals are, and, and that's what we're trying to figure out. And again, if you sell us on it, perfect. We can definitely point you in the right direction to all the right people to help you go down this road. Yeah, and I think that's so critical is your patient buildup or your break even can be different from the next person's, right? It's what are your goals and how long is it going to take to get there? And I think the two to four years is the bank's perspective because that's what they need to cover their risk and cover their loan. But your buildup, like Charles talked about at the beginning of this episode, might be seven or eight years if you want to be at that $500,000, $400,000 income level. So there's a lot of factors there to consider just being educated about those. So you mentioned team. Yes. And we're big on making sure you have all the right people around you when you're making these million-dollar decisions. So what is different about a team in a startup than a team in an acquisition? Yeah, so typically you think about the team as the acquisition. We've got several different resources, maybe from practice management, that can help you once the practice is up and going. Like one of the guys we've been really uh, happy with is uh, is Derek Williams. Derek has done an amazing job of, of building his own practice. He has a consulting, so I might see a, a client that has a, I don't know, a 500 to you know 800 collection practice, and they just really need better systems. He does kind of a remote consulting gig. The lifestyle practice. Lifestyle. You're welcome, uh, Derek. Again, no money's going back and forth here, but you're welcome, uh, Derek. So I may look at a vendor like that that I think is a good fit. And then if I'm going to do a startup, I may look at, okay, what specialty? So I may refer to like the Jameson Group and specifically Brenda McNulty and because she works with a lot of pediatric dentists. I may refer to a Jill Allen who specializes in my orthodontic startups and, and a Barry Williams and LMS. There's just just these different people that have really specialized, in this case, specialty of of orthodontics or pedo or or surgery, and that's their history. Mm -hmm. I want someone who's got a long tracker. I want someone, the architect that's been dealing with dentistry for 15 years and does 50 locations. I want someone to really listen to you. And so from the contractors to to the equipment specialists to maybe even the banks that specialize in this, and even to the consultants, do not get cheap when it comes time to hiring this consultant to help you with this marketing and branding to get this maybe startup practice off the ground because they're really good at it. Yeah, and you have to remember if you're buying an existing practice, you're buying a practice with processes, at least basic processes that exist. There's a skeleton. Now, it may be a bad skeleton. There may be breaks that you need to fix, but it's there. If you do a startup, you are building all of your processes from the ground up, right? right? And so it's much easier to start that on the right foot than to fix it later on down the road. And so they're expensive. It can be a barrier, right? It can be something that prohibits you, right? But to Mm -hmm. think about how much is this going to cost to do it correctly and can I do it, I think should be one of your factors in this decision. One other thing I want to uh, hit on too before we close is the building. I like real estate. I, I would prefer that I own my home. I prefer that I own my, my real estate, in this case, for my, for my dental practice. The problem is was when you're young is you don't know what you don't know. Yep. You could have a 2,500 active or 2,500 square foot space for my pediatric uh, practice, and it could be you know six chairs. It's big enough to probably do one five, one six, even with an associate. I mean, we're just busting at the scenes by year seven. So I probably don't want to build a building out of the gate unless you tell me you're, again, rural Iowa and you get this building for, you know, 6,000 square feet and it's only 400,000, some ridiculously low number. Fine. You sold me on the building. In general, I'm going to lease something. Yeah, I've got some sunk cost in the thing, 
but let's grow the thing like crazy and then let's go build big enough for maybe a two or even yeah two or three doctor phase i don't know what your specialty is i don't know what that's your vision yeah but let's let's see the thing evolve and then let's go build something on the perfect corners of A and B so that we're there for a long period of time. So again, that the income and the cash flow that you get on those first years is so critical in a startup. If you build a huge space, you're going to have a huge overhead. It's going to take you longer to catch that up. You're going to end up probably kicking yourself for a few years. Maybe, maybe long term it makes sense, but I think you're going to lose some money there. You know, Christy, for someone who doesn't help with any startup business, you sound like you know you're talking about that. <laughs> You know, I like to be well-rounded. Well, awesome. Well, that's all we have time for today. Um, Again, think about startups as always. Be educated. Well, we'll always root for acquisition over a startup. But again, we're flexible. We can be convinced. Yes, we want Uh, business ownership. Yeah, that's the end goal. Um, And there are times when startups make sense. So ownership is key. So remember to subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and we're on Spotify. After we we were made fun of and we weren't on there. Yeah, now we're there. (laughs) Uh, Have a great week. Until next time. See you guys.